And so I think that's where the revolution comes, is like taking a common device or a common behavior or a common pattern, um, instrumenting it a little bit to get access to the data, and then nudging a little bit to change behavior. That could, could make a huge, huge difference. Welcome to Conversations That Matter, a podcast from Unifor. Here, we explore the latest customer experience trends, sales insights, innovations in AI and automation, and more with well-known thought leaders and industry experts. Tune in and join the conversation. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Conversations That Matter. I'm so excited that you're here. I have my good friend, Neil Sample, here today. Welcome, Neil. Thank you. Good to be here. Appreciate it. So you're welcome. So Neil and I go way back. Uh, we used to work at Yahoo together. And most recently, he was CIO at Northwestern Mutual. And he has so many good nuggets uh, that we can learn from and how, as a CIO, we can leverage AI and automation, but also just in general, what are the challenges that CIOs go through these days um, when we're all trying to make us as as uh, efficient as possible, leveraging resources, leveraging the budgets that we have or, or don't have. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I see Neil as a strategic thinker, a strong leader, uh, and who's just really excels at making some really good business decisions uh, throughout his career. So he's held some various roles, as I said, at Northwestern Mutual, Express Scripts, eBay, Yahoo, uh, American Express, um, and it, of course, has been featured in a bunch of different podcasts and, and articles and interviews over the years uh, within the fintech industry as well as healthcare. So, Neil, um, I mean, the list can go on and on, but, uh, you know, I, I think uh, we'll just stop there and kind of get started with our first question. Uh, and we always like to start with a myth. Uh, and that's just a myth, but a way to debunk it. So yeah. for you specifically, uh, the question is, uh, what is one myth around AI and automation within your industry? And let's just take uh, the healthcare industry, which you were in most recently, uh, that you would like to debunk or maybe that people are just having challenges with. Uh, yeah, you know, the thing um, that's been clear to me is that, that people think of it as a panacea, as just you throw AI, you throw big data, you throw a machine learning at healthcare and then good things happen. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it's it's true that it can. There have been some amazing advances and I can, you know, come up and give you some examples of, of things like uh, drug adherence, where we've seen some really powerful um, advancements coming from AI. But on the other hand, um, I think of it as like farming. Uh, as a, like an analogy, like if yeah. you were to give me a tractor and say, this is the best tractor in the world and say, go nuts, be, become a great farmer, it wouldn't happen. That, you know, just like uh, AI, you, you need the tools, you need the experience, you need the, the plan, you need to understand what you're going to grow, what, what's the right thing to do, that you can't just like point AI at something and then be done. And that's where a lot of executives are, are saying things, like they'll read in the Wall Street Journal, we need more AI. Uh, or we need big data, or we need the cloud, right? You can substitute just yeah. about anything in there. And it's <laughs> yeah. not that easy. It really is a, a bit of a challenge. You need the right tools. You need some people with experience. You need a good hypothesis to, to actually make it happen. You can't just go from, uh, we need AI to some business revolution overnight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in our previous podcast, we talked about the myth of AI. 
uh, in the contact center as, as one kind of vertical. Uh, and people were like, it's not this shiny object. It's not, you know, you're not going to sprinkle fairy dust on it and everything's going to be better. Um, you know, there needs to be strategy around it. There needs to be the right resources, right? Yeah. Um, so that is a, a good uh, start to the conversation. Um, and, you know, the next thing that we want to talk about is something that we saw you share on social. Uh, and it was a recent article that you wrote um, and that you were a part of uh, around leadership and the heart. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that and, and kind of how that came about and what's, um, if there's one thing that people could learn from that article. And we'll put it in the show notes so everyone can read it. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, the idea of leadership with heart uh, is a very humanistic approach. And so heart is actually an acronym standing uh, for humility, empathy, adaptability, resiliency, and transparency. Um, and by focusing on those five things, you can enhance your uh, ability to lead, you can enhance the output of your team, effectiveness, um, prevent burnout, there are a lot of really good things. Yeah. And one of the reasons we focused on that is it's very different than a lot of classical management. So it's not Six Sigma. It's not organizational yeah. effectiveness. It's not a focus on quality or automation. All of those things are great, um, but those are usually outcomes driven and business driven. And the elements of heart are about the long term sustainability of your team. Um, because, you know, everything else is seasonal. It's a quarterly uh, report. It's an annual review. Yeah. It's a set of KPIs and metrics. And in order to keep that team refreshed and growing and getting better over time, uh, those other elements, those other five things, I think are pretty important. Yeah, I mean, I guess the question, since you've been a leader at, at, at other at various companies, um, what kind of kept you up at night? Um, especially not just from like, you know, hitting your goals and stuff, but like as in managing a team. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so back when we first knew each other, I, I think going back to Yahoo days, uh, the thing that was uh, true was I don't think I actually knew the difference between being right and being effective. And one of the reasons that, um, that I think that uh, I was taught to be right, sort of taught that the KPIs, for example, the metrics, the software release, et cetera, that that was um, the only goal. And so when you think about the ends, but you forget about the means, didn't focus on those things with heart, didn't focus on being a, a humble leader or an empathetic leader and adaptable, you know, resilient or transparent. That wasn't around back then. I, didn't I mean, need it, right. Why, why do I need to be transparent with my team? Why do I need to tell them why? Theirs is but to do or die, right? Like you just yeah. get the job done. You don't need to understand it. And, yeah. you know, we've learned a lot, like whether it's Carol Dweck and growth mindset and thinking about or Dan Pink's drive, right? Like autonomy, mastery and purpose are really important to people. Used to have that sort of paycheck approach, which is we're paying you a lot of money, work hard, get, get stuff done. And that was not effective over a long term. That was not a great strategy for building a team that was not really sustainable. And so I think that um, learning the difference between being right and being effective um, and bringing together some of those empathetic leadership aspects has really sort of changed the game for me. Um, and I think honestly, uh, for the entire tech industry and, and for a lot of industries as well, that it used to just be, you know, kind of, I don't know, almost a 
like a Jack Welch, Lee Iacocca, focus on the bottom line, nothing else matters. And, and uh, that's just not enough anymore, if it ever was, right? Yeah, I mean, we think back at, you know, Yahoo for us was back in, at least for me, was uh, 2005 to eight. Um, yeah, turn of the century, kind of. Turn, turn, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, I mean, and, and back then, it, it, you know, leadership was very like it felt like it was in its own little room that was unreachable and unattainable. I mean, right? There was some. I mean, back in the days, like with HP, right? They had the open door policy, the open way. They would walk around the offices, and, and that was that was great. But I don't think everyone was was doing that, right? And that was the first sense of like empathy in, in my mind. If you want to go look back at leadership, way back when. Um, but today, uh, you know, we, we talked on this podcast before about emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and heart. You know, the acronym that you listed it is very in touch with emotional intelligence and yeah, in terms of being self aware and reputation and and how others view you and, and being empathetic. So it's uh, it's definitely. Uh, a need now, right? I mean, it's, you know, how did you kind of, what was that moment that you actually realized that that epiphany that, okay, I need to change. Yeah. And was it someone that came to you and like, or do you have a mentor that you kind of grow up with that helped you? Um, so I had a a mentor actually at Yahoo who, uh, the moment was, um, you know, being chief architect on the consumer side, like working with mail and all of that, all of that stuff was great. It was a really senior individual contributor. And then I wanted to make the jump to delivery. And if you remember, we had YOS and I, you know, wanted to be VP of YOS and run it. And and it would have been kind of a lateral move. And the feedback I got was that, um, Hey, you do a really great job. You know, you're, you're sharp, you've got good designs. Um, but people don't necessarily want to work with you. They want you to be like a consultant. They want to take your ideas, which are good ideas, and then go do it on their own uh, because you weren't really a collaborator. You were just there trying to you know, tell people what to do. You weren't collaborating. You weren't working with them. You wanted to be kind of dictatorial. And, and so I got that feedback um, and basically uh, was told that unless... I developed followership, um, having the best answer in the world doesn't mean a thing if nobody wants to help you get it done. And so there was a moment there because, you know, I was there a little before you was there a little after you, you probably left at the right time. I left a little late, (laughs) but, but, um, but it was that feedback that basically said, listen, you're a hard driver, you're delivering good things. Um, but you are the kind of person that people want there on a temporary basis to solve the hard problem. You're not building the team. You're not building followership. You're not basically a sustainable leader. And and for me, that was like, holy cow, I really am doing something wrong. Uh, <laughs> if, if I want to get this uh, new gig, if I want to do something new, I've kind of limited myself. And so that was like the wake up call. And then, you know, the last 15 years have been trying to figure out uh, what that wake up call really means in real life. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, amazing. All right. Well, um, Let's uh, dive a little into uh, the healthcare side of things because I think that's really interesting to me. My wife's a nurse practitioner over at uh, Stanford, over here in the Silicon Valley, um, and your time at Northwestern Mutual, um, you know, it was interesting to me in terms of uh, 
you know, the past few years, there's been a lot of uh, changes within the healthcare industry for, for good or, or, or better. Mm -hmm. What are some of the, when you needed to make a technology decision, what were some of the things that you had to, to factor? Um, you know, let's talk about that. Cause I think that's really important for other CIOs that are listening. Uh, how did you make the decisions to support your team, but also to support the company overall? Yeah. Um, you know, when I was at uh, Express Scripts, we had a, a tremendous um, willingness to experiment. And so we were willing to do a lot of, of different things under, at the same time, a tremendous number of constraints, right? So experimentation in healthcare, um, it's not like mixing together uh, data on the consumer side to figure out who you're going to market to. There are genuine human outcomes. And so, you know, it was really... Um, a good petri dish to try to figure out um, how to how to make the world a better place. Like our our mission was to make the um, use of prescription drugs safer and more affordable. So the kind of things we were willing to do um, that actually showed some really positive benefits. Like we um, looked at medical adherence as like a huge problem. Like if you don't take your drugs. Let's say you're a diabetic. Um, you it, you might be saving, say, twenty bucks a year not taking your metformin and a few other things. Uh, right. But if you have a hyperglycemic event and you end up in an ambulance going to the hospital one time, um, that's the same as ten years of maintenance healthcare, right? And so, from a yeah. commercial perspective, there were um, folks who would really lean in because the outcomes were. Um, uh, were so valuable. So um, we did things like uh, free monitoring, free test strips. Um, one of the neatest things I think we did was with a, a $2 basically USB communicator on an asthma inhaler. We figured uh -huh. out when people were taking their maintenance inhalers versus rescue inhalers. Um, we married that up with cell phone data that they allowed us to have that said, you know, time of day, geographic location, et cetera. And we found um, ways to get double-digit percentages in, in improvement and adherence and health, healthcare outcomes um, just by looking in and realizing that, you know what, this is based on pollen and in your area at this time of day, or we see you rushing from one location to another, and so you're out of breath, and, and we see you overly relying on your rescue inhaler and not taking enough of your uh, maintenance inhaler. And so those are the yeah. kind of things that just having a company that was willing to um, get out there, instrument the heck out of it, not know where we were going to end up, um, but, but put some capital out there to make the investment to see where AI could take us, where machine learning could take us, what we could find out. That's been really, really powerful. Um, the flip side, though, I will say, um, if it's easy and transparent. People have been really good uh, at, at just sort of taking the advantage, taking the upside. Um, on the other hand, the, the experience in the physician's office at the point of care, you know, that hasn't really changed in a hundred years. You've, you know, you go into a waiting room, you've got- Yeah, to it's, it's definitely right for, yeah. Ripe for for new technology, ripe for changes. And yet, you know, nobody wants yeah. to come in and, sure. and talk to a robot, you know? So, yeah, yeah, no one wants to come talk to a robot. I mean, I think there's times and opportunities for that um, in terms of the chats. Uh, and then there's times for like, you know, real human interaction. 
I mean, yeah. We take a look at any conversational AI kind of bot. Um, you know, you want your password reset. You don't need a real person for that. Right. You have a heart condition and you need to get advice from a nurse. Like then that requires an actual real person to talk to. So um, correct. Yeah. yeah. Individual comfort levels are uh, very dramatically. Like you've got some people who are totally ready to do telehealth. Um, and you've got other people who are unwilling to speak to an IVR that says, just say your card number and we'll be fine. And they're like, no, operator, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, what are some of the things that you were most proud of uh, over your career um, uh, within the healthcare space? Is there any particular projects uh, that are public that um, you're like, oh, man, that was a great experience? Yeah, you know, um, one of the sticking to the the notion of AI for a second. Um, one of the things we did at Express Scripts was we had a, a database that um, had a, at the time I think it was four hundred and thirty five attributes uh, around patients, um, things like medical history, um, demographics, geography, etc. And we were doing a, an adherence hunt to figure out what are the factors that um, are going to get in the way, right? Um, and I don't know. Do you want to? Do you have a guess as to what's the most likely predictor of somebody not taking their drugs as prescribed? Ooh, um, I think most of the time they just don't want to. <laughs> That's, I'm thinking like my parents. <laughs> yeah, well, that is a that is a factor, right? So you get actually, and there's a sort of a rule of thumb that 10% of people are just not going to do it, no matter what. They're they yeah. they feel bulletproof. They're young. They they feel better, and they're not going to finish their drugs. You got about 60% of people that are going to follow the, the directions to the letter. They're just like, you know, this yeah. is what I'm going to do. But it's exactly. that 30, it's that 30% that's somewhere in the middle that could go either way that you focus on. So I'll tell you what, our hypothesis going in was that it was going to be like the social determinants of healthcare. It was going to be like affordability and work yeah. schedule and this kind of thing. Turns out there was a single factor that was more contributing than anything else. And if it and it was this, it was a combination actually, but if you had a male patient over the age of 50 uh -huh. and they had a female primary care physician, that was the number one predictor as a single factor. And it was like 0.7%. So it wasn't like tremendous, but that was the uh -huh. single factor that was most likely to predict non-adherence. And so we didn't get into the why of it, right? We didn't uh, have to explain that um, old guys don't like listening to women doctors. Um, that may be true. All we had to do was identify it and then intervene, right? Send them an email, yeah. maybe do a text prompt or whatever to poke at them to make sure that we could find it. Yeah. But that was the kind of thing where we would use our data, we would use AI, and we would just grind through millions upon millions of cases every year, uh, whether it was prescriptions or medical histories and figure yeah. out what is it that keeps people from getting the right healthcare outcomes. And we did a great job with that. Um, you know, and ultimately I think that was part of why Cigna uh, bought Express Scripts was, was what we were able to do digitally um, outside mm -hmm. of the supply chain and drug delivery and so on. It was um, some really powerful stuff uh, on the AI side. Yeah. 
That's amazing. I mean, you never know what the data will show, right? And so, yeah, that was the not only what we expected to find, but we also weren't surprised at the end. So, yeah. Well, that's really cool. Um, so uh, let's get uh, onto the future, future yeah. predictions. Um, you know, I, I think uh, no one knows what's going to happen, but I think from your perspective, when we think about uh, technology being disruptive towards uh, the healthcare industry, uh, what are your thoughts uh, around that, let's say five years from now, how things are going to change? Um, so I'm a little skeptical of, of some of the hype curves. Uh, you know, when you when people are talking about blockchain and open medical records and, and interoperability, um, you know, possible, but I, I still remain a little bit skeptical. I think, unfortunately, for example, in the U.S., we have too many incentives to balkanize data to too many restrictions on privacy, reasons that people don't want to share, or they don't want their medical histories running out there. Um, yeah. You know, that was a way where uh, um, Northwestern Mutual writing insurance policies and express scripts doing underwriting on healthcare kind of came into collision that there are a lot of um, restrictions, for example, about not using healthcare data or not using genetic data, et cetera, to do underwriting when in fact it is really predictive. And so, so we have this real dynamic tension that I think are gonna slow down some of the sort of big panacea push type things. Um, on the other hand, I'm a big fan of telemetry and using um, sort of the data exhaust that people throw off on a fairly regular basis. Um, what, and, what do you mean by that? So I wear uh, like um, a watch that takes my uh, pulse rate. It understands, you know, blood pressure. It does all sorts of amazing things. It counts my right. steps. It knows when I'm active and when I'm not. Um, the ability to, to turn that into actionable data and recommendations in a fairly casual way, kind of amazing. Like we've watched behaviorally, um, people use prompts. Like if you, um, if you look at an iWatch, they have the health, the rings, right? For uh, yeah. are you standing enough times? Are you getting enough exercise? Do you have enough mobility? And that's it. It can. Be annoying. It can yet <laughs> actually effective, right? It's this yeah, little yeah, tiny totally. bit of telemetry. Yeah. It gets people to change behaviors in a positive way. So I look at that as like a, a less invasive example than, say, um, diabetes care or like the inhaler for asthma. Yeah. Just a little bit of tech, a little bit of sensor. And that now we're kind of talking um, kind of ubiquitous IoT type stuff. But when those are out there, you can make a huge amount of difference to healthcare outcomes that are that are non-invasive, that you don't need people to like get on board. You don't need people right. to put on a, a blood pressure cuff and take their blood pressure manually right. every day, right? And, and yeah. so I think that's where the revolution comes, is like taking a common device or a common behavior or a common pattern, um, instrumenting it a little bit to get access to the data, and then nudging a little bit to change behavior, that could could make a huge, huge difference. Huge difference, right? Very cool. Uh, so subtle, subtle futures, right? Not these like, uh, you know, blockchain is going to save us all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, you hear that all the time, and uh, I think that's what we're looking for. I mean, I, I think it's the baby steps. It's the mm -hmm. the things that people don't even need to think about, right? That they're comfortable with that can actually affect real change. 
and how you are, how you stay healthy, how your family stays healthy. So totally, uh, yeah, and it's and it's the um, it's the unconscious advantage, right? Like uh, you know, I, I will say I went to a, a Def Leppard concert recently. And nice, it, love it. <laughs> it became, it became a. Uh, I did get some healthcare alerts because my watch thought my <laughs> BPM, my resting BPM, was way yeah. too high. And really, it's because <laughs> I was in like the second row. <laughs> it was nice. this constant pulse from the speakers. But it it was like, hey, I've been quietly paying attention and you're totally out of pattern and yeah. this is something you should think about. If it had been a real healthcare event, I would have been delighted that that was going on in the background yeah. and I didn't know about it. Yeah. Um, and it just happens on its own. I don't need to worry about it. And it, it occasionally nudges me. But if something systemic happens or or in that case, the music's yeah. too loud, um, it, it's right there to say, hey, listen, do you need help? Right. So, yeah. Kind of uh, cool. So I just want, I, I'm still stuck on Def Leppard. So I, 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 th I think we still need to go. We need to have a reunion and go to uh, be a roadie on their tour. Uh, I saw, I can't remember. I saw them maybe like 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and they still are, are, are phenomenal. I mean, all the great oh, songs, all, all the hits. I mean, yeah. was it late 80s, early 90s? Is that? Uh, it, this is the thing. It's Def Leppard. You could have gone back 10, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and yeah. still, uh, still keep making the hits. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so we're on to our rapid fire of the podcast and yeah. we're going to start off with some quick ones here. Uh, what's one thing not on your LinkedIn profile? Uh, boy, um, debate champion from 1995 oh. in college it's on wikipedia but not on uh, linkedin <laughs> right also you have a wikipedia page all right we'll have to look that up too uh, -huh. uh do you have a trophy from that or some i do uh, yeah we were uh national debate champions uh on the college circuit in 95 so yes big uh big wooden trophy with kind of a metal okay. all that the begs that begs for a LinkedIn post. You got to do that. You, there, you gotta, by the way, there's <laughs> also a traveling trophy that looks like the Stanley <laughs> Cup that's got all the winners from all the years, and uh, we and got you to have keep that? that. No, we only got to keep it for the season that we won. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> love it, love it. Uh, so, what's one thing that you wish you knew when you started your career? Oh, uh, that's an easy one. Kind of what we talked about before, that difference between being right and being effective, right? Like being, you know, having the answer in the moment versus thinking about the future and creating a sustainable team and a sustainable program, you know, not just like get this one goal at all costs and and burn out the team and, and burn out the organization. Like that, that to me would have been great to have that lesson. Um, to not be taught as much maybe program management as, you know, empathetic leadership, for example, um, got the program management basics, got, you know, a, an agile uh, certificate, right? Like all sorts of things that were right. all about delivery, but not about the team. And so that's the difference I think I would have uh, loved to go back and tell myself about years before. Awesome. Uh, one city or country uh, you wish you would spend more time in? More time in? Um, 
Seattle, I think. Yeah. Yeah, Like I used to visit there. I had some friends there. Haven't been back in years um, and missed it. It was, it was like um, uh, a place that was sort of like San Francisco where I was at at the time, certainly from a weather perspective. Um, But I always had great memories there of visiting. Um, But I never, never really have, I haven't been back in like, I want to say 15 years. Yeah, it's great. My parents used to live in the Seattle area. And I always remember getting out of the airport on a clear day, because there's not too many clear days up in Seattle. Yeah. Um, but when there is, you see Mount Rainier and like, it just, it's amazing. It was awesome. So yeah. Camping and hiking and still oh, yeah. kind of a big city. Yeah. Yeah. Olympic National Forest, San Juan mm-hmm. Islands, all that area. Yeah, totally. Puget Sound is amazing. All right. Um, and this is just open-ended question. What's best day? And I'll best let you answer day. that. And, and, and there's so many ways to answer that, but what's your best day? I mean, obviously today, right? Like if you can make each day better than the last, 1% better every day. Um, there you go. But uh, yeah, I think um, for me, it's not, uh, it's pretty mundane. It would be hanging around the house, reading a book, listening to your podcast, of course. Um, hanging out with the kids, maybe barbecue, like, you know, pretty much, uh, we'll call it pedestrian relaxing. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, so you're, you're based in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes. Uh, you know, what's, uh, one thing for those that, I mean, I haven't been there. What's one thing that people should know about Milwaukee? Um, well, Milwaukee, a couple, I guess three years ago was named the best, like named the hippest city in the Midwest. Um, and it is, you know, definitely, um, a bit of an, an anachronism when it comes to the Midwest, we're the only major city in America that's had, um, three socialist mayors, uh, for example, um, we have the second largest arts endowment, civic arts endowment after New York city, right? That's the only one larger, not even LA. Like it's a, it's kind of a hidden gem. So, you know, I would strongly encourage you to, to come hang out, come visit. Uh, it is it is not like Chicago Junior or, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. Minneapolis yeah. or St. Louis. It's, a, it's definitely different from the rest of the Midwest. Yeah. Cool. All right. We'll have to check it out. Um, and then we asked this uh, with a lot of people on our, on our uh, podcast. If you had the opportunity to customize the voice on the other end of a contact center or maybe a sales call, whatever it might be, uh, where this person living past celebrity or not, um, that could kind of solve everything, could answer all your questions, who would that person be? Wow. Um, I, my first answer is immediately Harry Carey, because that guy would be great to talk to. He <laughs> <laughs> would be. <laughs> it would just be hilarious. Um, I, I'm trying to do my impersonation of Harry Carey, but I think I would just like totally botch it right now. But, uh, yes. I think I would too. Um, on the other hand, uh, I would probably have to mix him in with like um, a Neil deGrasse Tyson, like who just knows everything also. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, somebody who's kind of amusing as heck uh, and has got a great bedside manner and you're, you're listening to it. It's just like, what the heck? But on the other hand, just knows everything about the topic and can help me get things done. So, you know, somewhere I, I would probably mix those two together. Right? There you go. Awesome. So no, yeah. no one from Def Leppard. 
not in, not in the contact center. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe at the maybe, after party, but uh, maybe, maybe that's the hold music. Right. Um, right. All right. Uh, so you know, this is a an opportunity for also for you to uh, tell the world kind of what you're up to, what you need from the community. Um, you know, how can we help you? So um, you know. Let's just uh, talk about that for uh, a moment. I'll give you the airways for about a minute and then tell people how they can connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I think about what you guys do and I think about what I've done historically. And, you know, what's interesting is um, I've always been uh, kind of a technologist at heart, working in in places that are ripe for disruption, ready for disruption, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting about that is that... Um, people aren't always ready at the same time. And yeah. whether you are talking about a, a sales team, um, so it's sort of the company facing out, or you're talking about people who want to engage, like call in or engage digitally, et cetera, um, yeah. they're at various stages of readiness. And, and what I find uh, really interesting about what you guys do um, is helping people get ready is actually going out there, um, again, whether it's inbound or outbound, whether you're talking about a sales event or you're talking about, um, you know, we were talking about call centers earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, we found that uh, the pandemic was really kind of eye-opening. Um, of course. I've noticed that uh, there were a lot of folks um, of a certain age, for example, which you thought would never be digital adopters, right? They're just like, not just late adopters, but just really aren't gonna get there. But then there was this phenomenon where if grandparents wanted to talk to their grandkids, all of a sudden they had to figure out how to use Zoom. Yeah. Um, and, I, and so I've noticed even within my own parents, they've really um, showed up in a way that I don't even think we thought was possible. And so the help I need um, is just, you know, innovative uh, technology and approaches to bring people along the digital, because I've always been doing digital, right? Yeah. And so um, it was weird. Nobody thought that that was um, gonna be a side effect of the pandemic. I don't think anybody predicted it. No. But the tech adoption, um, again, for, for things like Zoom that are obviously business critical, but also for an older generation that wasn't using things before, um, telemedicine. If you look at the curve there, it's been incredible. It was just sort of this, yeah, niche kind of, uh, I hear it exists. Yeah. And, and maybe exactly. it, it's there, but... We'll use it. But nobody's really using it yeah. to like a legitimate primary vehicle for healthcare delivery. So, oh, sure. you know, yeah, the help I'm always looking for is uh, sort of novel and, and new ways to get people involved and more effective. And so, yeah. Awesome. And what's the best way that people can reach you? Uh, probably just LinkedIn, um, you know, hit the Google or, or LinkedIn directly and, and contact info and, and everything is there. So easy enough. Awesome. Well, thank you, Neil. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I learned a lot today and uh, we had some good laughs and, uh, and definitely we need to go back uh, on the uh, Def Leppard Roadshow and uh, see if we're going to hit a concert <laughs> or two. Uh, I definitely want to do that. So uh, again, I uh, appreciate the time today and, and uh, look forward to uh, continuing our relationship over the years. Indeed, indeed. And just so you know, um, Joan Jett, Poison, and Motley Crue were also there. Uh, it was You're amazing. just blowing my mind right now. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, right, but well, it was great. Thank you. 
Cool, man. All right. Well, you guys have a good day. And uh, as always, uh, for those that are listening, you know, we want to hear how we can help you guys out. Always email us at podcast at unifor.com. You can follow us on LinkedIn or you can tweet us at, at Unifor. Um, and that's uh, all we have for this, for today. As always, this is the Conversations That Matter podcast. You can find us on all the usual podcast directories. Make sure to tell your friends. Have a great day, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations That Matter. Subscribe to our podcast for more great content. And if you want to learn more about the topic we discussed, visit unifor.com today.